What is going on, everybody? My name is Eric. You're listening to another exciting episode of the Unlockables podcast, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. That is right, baby. We are back. It's been a couple of great, great months off, but I have missed this. I have missed talking to you guys. And as always, thank you so much for listening wherever, whenever, in time and space you might be located. I don't really know what we're officially branding this next phase of the Unlockables. Like, I don't want to call it season two because it's not technically season two. Maybe we'll just call it Unlockables to the sequel, Unlockables to Electric Boogaloo. Uh, I am not sure, but uh, it's great to be back. It's great to be recording, to be putting out content again. It feels absolutely fantastic. Uh, a much, much needed break after the marathon that was the end of 2022, the 12 games of Christmas. And I, I announced some really cool stuff after that that I've been hard at work on that I'm very, very excited to share with you guys. First and foremost, and certainly one of the things I'm most excited about is that Guiding Keys, the story of Kingdom Hearts, the return is just around the corner. We have Chain of Memories queued up, ready to go. That was an episode that I worked on while I was off. And man, that was it was great. It, I'm really, really proud of how that one turned out. So I, I'm very excited to share that with you guys. And of course, debuting uh, later this month or next month, depending on what the schedule of episodes is like, uh, I announced a new series called The House of Mario, which will be looking at the history of Nintendo uh, in relation to its most iconic mascot. And of course, I also announced Visions of Fantasy, the storytellers of Square, which is just going to be many episodes focusing on the individuals that made the incredible games from Squaresoft and Square Enix, uh, such individuals as Hironobu Sakaguchi, the legendary creator of Final Fantasy, uh, Tetsuya Nomura, series creator and director of the Kingdom Hearts franchise, and just to name a few, there will be many, many more. And there might even be some stories related to not just specific people, but to specific games and things that happened during Square's history. So I'm very excited to bring those mini series to you uh, as just a couple of the things that I've been working on for the Unlockables for 2023. But before we get to any of that, I wanted to do kind of a kickoff episode for this year. Uh, it is March 2023. And one of the things I wanted to do before I went away at the end of 2022 is I made a post on Twitter talking about the 40 games that I had uh, beaten in the year 2022. So when 2022 rolled around, I, I challenged myself that I wanted to complete 40 games and I completed 40 on the dot with like two days left to spare in December. And what I did while I was completing those games is I, I had a note on my iPhone and every time I would beat a game, I would make a, make a note of when I when I beat it, what the game was, the platform it was on. And I'd write like a one or two sentence review about my feelings about the game after I beat it. And I wanted to revisit those before 2022 was over. And I just I never got around to it. Things got busy. I went on hiatus. I recorded the the end of the year episode and I just wanted to be finished. And I wanted to go on a little bit of a break. But we are going to revisit those memories here. And I'm just going to go down the list of games and the notes I made real quick and pontificate about them uh, for, for a minute or two. So I think without further ado and without talking about too much other stuff, uh, let's dive in to the list of games that I finished in 2022 and the little notes that I wrote about them.
First on the list, the first game I completed in 2022 was none other, starting the year off strong, than Halo Infinite, which came out on 2021 for the Xbox. I played it with my free trial of Game Pass that I redeemed at the start of the year because I wanted to play Halo. So uh, that game, I completed it on January 1st. I was almost done with it when uh, 2020 rolled over, but you know, didn't quite get around to finishing it. So I finished it on January 1st, and this was the review that I wrote for it. Halo Infinite finally realizes Halo's open world ambition, although it fails to fully commit to an open world or a narratively driven story. A fun nostalgic trip for fans of the series, Halo Infinite caps off a great year for Xbox. I'm not sure that take age so well. Halo Infinite's kind of continued to have some struggles with its lack of content. I thoroughly enjoyed playing the campaign for Halo Infinite. It was really nice to jump back into a game. Uh, you know, I, I love the Halo series a lot. Halos 1, 2, and 3 were big, big games when I was growing up. So to jump back into a game that felt like Halo, which is the thing that I think 343 Industries nailed, uh, Halo Infinite feels like Halo. There are obviously some half-baked ideas still in there with the multiplayer. Forge came out and looks pretty fantastic. Some people are making some crazy stuff in Forge, but I think there's a lot to go. But I, I think, you know, Games have released in worse states, a la your cyberpunks and your No Man's Skies, and come back to to be games that people love. And I think that Halo has that potential, and I think they'll continue to work on it. So I don't think Halo Infinite is dead yet, and I enjoyed my time with it. Next up on the list is The Gunk, which came out in 2021 for Xbox. Again, I played this one on the... Uh, my free subscription of Game Pass. And this one was also completed on January 1st. So I finished Halo like early in the morning on January 1st and then just binged the gunk and finished that game in like six hours while I had the day off. So, uh, and for the gunk, I wrote a passable first 3D game for image and form. The gunk scratches that OCD itch of cleaning everything in sight while delivering a strong message about the environment that is relevant today. And I think that was was the funnest part. So the gunk, you're on, a, you're on an alien planet and you have this like vacuum style thing that you can clean all the gunk or and like use to solve puzzles and access different parts of the of the world and the story and experience the narrative. And that really to me was the most catching thing was the narrative in the gunk was all about preserving the planet that you're on and the environment and taking care of what you're given. And, and that's a very, very relevant story to be tell, told today with everything that's going on with, with climate change and stuff. And I thought it was very enjoyable. It didn't blow me away. Obviously, I didn't talk about it for 12 games of Christmas, but it's still an enjoyable play. If you have four to six hours and you like sucking everything up and, and cleaning up a mess, The Gunk's a great game. So go and check it out for sure. Next, we have Ruined King, a League of Legends story, which came out in 2021, and I completed it on, not completed it, I beat it on the Switch on January 9th was when I finished that. Ruined King is a fun way for people who are interested in League's deep lore and diverse cast of characters to experience that world without the deep learning curve or toxic community of the titular MOBA. Of course, talking about League of Legends. So this game, the concept and idea behind it were cool and the lore behind League of Legends is super fascinating. And League of Legends stuff is, is pretty hot. If you haven't watched Arcane on Netflix, which came out last year, which is set in the world of League of Legends, Go watch Arcane. It's absolutely fantastic. But I had so many problems with Ruined King on the Switch. The game kept crashing. I kept getting green screens of death. I kept getting slowdowns, lags. The game would just freeze. I'd have to restart the Switch. And after that happened so many, so many, so many times, it kind of just ruined my experience for the game, despite 
how mechanically solid I thought the game was. They did, they had an interesting take on the turn-based RPG battle system and they kind of combined it, they combined their, um, if you don't know anything about League, there's different lanes, there's top, middle, and uh, bottom lane. And they combined that idea of lanes with a Q battle system that in Final Fantasy X that shows you which characters move first and next. And depending on which lane you're in, you can either it either makes your attacks faster and more powerful or does different things. So the mechanics and the idea behind the game are interesting. It's a really fresh RPG take combined with, you know, League of Legends things. But I just had so many technical problems with it that by the time I was done, I was just I was over it. I, I didn't want to be playing ruined king anymore so uh sorry ruined king but just too many technical things happened next we have horizon zero dawn not forbidden west horizon zero dawn which came out in 2017 on the ps4 i completed that on january 27th picked up zero dawn for playstation's summer of play when the pandemic was happening for for free and i finally got around to playing it before the sequel came out Horizon Zero Dawn is an exciting but familiar open world experience with excellent combat, fantastic characters, a unique take on a post-apocalyptic world, and a gripping story with a warning that is more relevant today than ever before. Uh, in parentheses, I put the boss fight was a letdown and the open world did feel a bit small at times. The final boss fight is kind of a letdown. I won't spoil uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, but for how epic the lead up to that final boss fight was, it did feel like it was a bit of a letdown. Yeah, um... It's easy to see why this game was so successful for Sony. Horizon Zero Dawn was a really cool, unique, new kind of uh, fusing these tribal politics of a world that had been destroyed combined with, you know, these people have just been scavenging whatever technology they can find to try and survive. And then unraveling the mystery of who Aloy is, why she's an outcast and why this world is this, why society is tribal, but why are there mechanical robots everywhere? And that mystery, that part of the game is really gripping and makes for a fantastic game. And obviously, when it comes to open world game, you know what you're getting. It's a pretty standard Ubisoft open world sandbox with icons and stuff like that. But it's done really well. And if you're looking for a great open world game, I don't think you can look any further than Horizon Zero Dawn. It was very, very good. Next up, Final Fantasy VIII which came out in 1999 on the PlayStation 1, but I played it on the Switch. I played the remastered version, and I finished that one up on January 29th. One of the most unique Final Fantasies, thanks to the Junction system, is brought down by an average story and forgettable characters. Sandwiched between the two great titles in 7 and 9, 8 is certainly the weakest of the PS1-era Final Fantasy games. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, so... Everybody listens to this show knows that I have a lot of love for Final Fantasy IX. I think it is the best of the PS1 era Final Fantasies, um, bar none. And Final Fantasy VII is great in its own right. I have problems with that game as well, but it is a monumental title for the time. Yeah, I, it, you know, Final Fantasy VIII was was fascinating. It, the junction system, the way you're able to draw magic and kind of equip magic on your weapons and really game the system. It, it's a really unique jrpg system that isn't present and i really haven't experienced before and i think i would need an additional gameplay to kind of grasp and and figure out all the kind of systems but i just i wasn't as grabbed by the story i didn't feel as invested in the cast of characters as i did with either seven or nine i felt like the cast of characters for both of those games are definitely more memorable you know just the witch from the future and compressing time and 
all this stuff with Laguna and all this other stuff. I just, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. I, I'm still really happy that I went back and experienced it, but I just, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. So yeah, sorry, Final Fantasy VIII. I'm glad I played you, but I think out of all the PS1 games, I think you're definitely the weakest. Next up, Pokemon Legends Arceus, which came out 2022 on the Switch. And I beat that one on February 9th. I actually beat it while I was on my honeymoon in Mexico. So I made a little, I made sure to make a little note of that in my notes here. And I believe this was the first game that's from this year that I beat. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, it was 2022. The most unique take on the Pokemon franchise since its inception, Legends Arceus twists the familiar formula just enough to keep it exciting, making up for lackluster graphics and uninspired locations. And I feel like that take is, is still pretty accurate. Legends Arceus was the best Pokemon game to come out in 2022. And yes, that is including Scarlet and Violet. It was just such a different take on the franchise that I just felt relieved playing it. I mean, all of your basics are still there. You're still catching Pokemon. You're still battling Pokemon. All that stuff is still the same. But the story that it told and the di- I found myself really engaged with the difficulty of the game. Uh, Jared and I did an episode of did one of the 12 games of Christmas on, on Pokemon Legends Arceus. And, you know, the battles were intense and not to spoil it, but the, the ending sequence when you confront uh, the final person in the final challenge is is really memorable and one of the most memorable moments in a Pokemon game and was one of the most memorable moments uh, of gaming for 2022 for me. So I, I hope that Legends Arceus is an idea that they revisit in the future. I, I would love to see a game like this set in ancient Johto. What was the other one? Ancient Hoenn. I think both of those would be pretty fascinating. So I hope they come back to it because I think it's the change that the series needs for sure. Like I said, the little note I made about the graphics, it doesn't look great on the Switch, but you're not coming to Pokemon games or Switch games for graphics. So I, th- I think it's a great start. I think the open zones are fantastic. Build off of that. Game Freak, let's let's do more. And I don't even know if Game Freak did that one, so I might just be talking to my ass. But yeah, do more. Let's go. Um, make, make more games like that. I would definitely play them. It was one of the 12 best games I played last year. The next one, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. 2019 for the Switch. It was originally on the Wii U, but the Deluxe game came in. I believe the Deluxe game includes New Luigi Bros U or the Luigi game that came out in the same style. Not 100% sure, but uh, I beat this one on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Also while I was in Mexico. We were in Mexico for a long ass time. The new Super Mario Bros franchise has always felt stale and uninspired, and the deluxe version of the Wii U version on Switch is no exception. The game takes a lot of inspiration from Super Super Mario Bros. 3, but doesn't execute those ideas half as well as the 30-year-old masterpiece. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty generous to Mario on this podcast. I routinely say that Mario is taken for granted and underrated because his games are always so great. The new Super Mario Bros. franchise is, is not, to me, it's not up to the par that the, the mainline Mario franchise is. It's not up to the, like, when you put those games on the Wii U and then put, or put those games on the Wii and Wii U and then put them beside Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, there's just, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. The 3D Mario games blow new Super Mario Bros. U out of the water. And Super Mario 3D World, I think, is, is, is better than that. I, so I just think that the... The new Super Mario Bros. franchise is just kind of a soulless cash grab, and they put out a bunch of those games all over, and they sold well because it's Mario, but I just I don't think they're as fun to play as as other Mario games. So 
yeah, sorry, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. Uh, not great. Didn't love it. We're on to Vampire Survivors 2021 on Steam. Uh, a full release came out in 2022. The 1.0, I believe, it was in October. I, I, you don't really beat this game. You kind of there's they kind of been adding more content. So uh, when I wrote my review about it, my review honestly hasn't changed uh, from February 22nd when I wrote the review. Roguelike, check. Powerful protagonist, check. Slaying your way through hordes of undead, check. Vampire Survivors is the first indie hit of 2022, and it is simple, pure video game fun. You're guaranteed to lose hours on this one. This is a must pick up for $3. And I wanted to specifically thank Shane from Retro Hangover for ruining my life. I put that in parentheses. And my favorite quote of all time about this game came from my good friend Dave at Tales from the Backlog. It's pure distilled video game fun. And that's what it is. I've told everybody that I know about Vampire Survivors, and I think at this point, everybody in our podcast circle has played it. I believe it's $5 now because it's a full release, but even for $5, go buy it and play it. And I think there's DLC for it now, and I think the DLC is only like an additional couple of dollars. There's no excuse. It was one of the best games of the year. It was probably like one of my top five games of last year. It's it's so good. It's so addicting for such a simple premise. You You won't be disappointed, so just... Go and play it already. Continuing on the list, Kirby Star Allies, which came out in 2018 for the Nintendo Switch, was also, I wrote the review on February 22nd, so I must have been in a review mood that day. An unimaginative and uninspired adventure capped off by an epic finale. Here's hoping that Forgotten Land can breathe some life back into the Kirby franchise. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. That was rough. Yeah, I did not like Star Allies at all. I love Kirby. Uh, I'm a pretty ardent defender of Kirby on on everything that I talk about. But Star Allies was Star Allies was the new Super Mario Bros. of the Kirby franchise. It just was not like I had no fun playing it, and it was very easy to complete. So I just I didn't like it. I think that it's probably one of my least favorite Kirby games that I've ever played and i've played a lot of them so uh it's a great game for younger kids it'll keep them entertained uh it's got some unique mechanics and as always the the kirby story is insane but it's not worth your time uh forgotten land is better following up on that we have horizon forbidden west that is right i played both of the ps <laughs> playstation exclusive horizon games this year uh I, I rushed to finish zero dawn because this one was coming out obviously 2022 for the playstation 5 and i finished this one up on march 18th although we've seen this style of open world game before what forbidden west lacks in innovation it makes up for in spades with emotional storytelling and stunning visuals although its attempts to hastily set up a third installment fall flat if you like Zero Dawn, then you know what you're getting. So I, I made this review pretty much right after I finished the game. And I didn't really have any time to marinate on it. And now that I've had time to marinate on it, I think that, yeah, it, it's it's more Horizon. It's what you know from Zero Dawn. I think Zero Dawn was a more enjoyable experience for me just because there's more of a mystery there. And by this time, the the mystery kind of worn off and we're wading into sci-fi territory, especially with the way the game ended. Uh, I don't have any problem with the way the game ended. I think it's it's certainly interesting, the premise. It's, it's an interesting enough premise that makes me want to come back and check out the third game if, it, if there ever is one. Forbidden West, great game. Uh, lots of side content. The side content's really good, but by the end, I was golden pathing. I was ready to be done with it. So 
It's it's worth a pickup. I don't think you have to play it right away, but it, it's if you have a PlayStation Five, it, it's one of the best games on the PlayStation Five for sure. There, that there's no denying that. Next, Mario Kart 64. 1996 for the N64. I played it on the Switch N64 that you get for the the online service. Interesting. I wrote. Although at times it feels like driving on skates and despite showing its age like many games from the N64, Mario Kart 64 still lives up to its reputation today as one of Nintendo's best games of the N64 generation. Not that that's saying a lot. A lot of stuff from the N64 generation is not aged particularly graceful. I found Mario Kart 64 more frustrating than I did fun. And I played 64 to just get a little bit of historical context i guess on the entire mario kart franchise because uh, one of the episodes for king of games 1992 i was on was for super mario kart so i just wanted a little bit and man mario kart 64 and super mario kart are trickier to go back and play than than you would think and it's i still stand by my claim that crash team racing is the best kart racer from that era not backing down but yeah mario kart 64 i played through all the grand prix uh, on every difficulty so insane next up kirby and the forgotten land 2022 on the switch finishing that one april 5th (laughs) played this instead of elden ring so go figure i was the only person playing this in horizon forbidden west at the time but i wrote a delightful and fantastic adventure kirby has returned to form as forgotten land is the best game in the series since superstar on the snes and nightmare in dreamland on the gba and i believe it is the best-selling game in the series now finally dethroning Kirby's Dreamland all the way back on the original Game Boy. Yeah, everybody that listens to the show knows that when it comes to Kirby, my gold standard is Superstar and Nightmare and Dreamland. I think those two games are absolutely fantastic. I think that they're the best of the best Kirby games, even though Superstar is a compilation. Uh, that Nightmare, I never hear anybody talk about Nightmare and Dreamland. It's really disappointing. That game is fantastic. But yeah, Kirby in the Forgotten Land is an incredible, incredible game. It's fun it can also be challenging it's just oozing with charm and adventure Uh, so many so many fantastic ideas crammed into a kirby game i hope they do like a sequel to forgotten land like a forgotten land 2 i'd be i would love to explore more in that world and more in that style of of kirby gameplay it's not an open world kirby game but it's a 3d kirby game where you can run around in environments yeah big thumbs up for kirby in the forgotten land again talked about it 12 games talked about it in the 12 games of christmas highly highly recommend House Flipper, 2018 on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Finish this one April 8th. Again, not really like an overarching story for this one, but this was a game that my wife loved and we wanted to play. Despite the satisfying feeling of checking chores off of a list, this one really doesn't have anything going for it. If you like life simulators, maybe you can find something redeeming about this game. Yeah, it's, it's a really low budget home renovation game where you're basically flipping houses for profit. It's nothing remarkable it's it's fun if you like checking things off of a list or cleaning which is like really what my wife loves to do in a video game so i'm not going to spend any more time on house flipper it's just it's one of those games you know how they are unpacking from 2021 on the nintendo switch april 10th unpacking is a touching game that is simple in its execution providing the satisfaction of organization while telling a touching story about growing up through the things we take with us when we move. This one hit me hard. Unpacking is a fantastic game. Not only does it itch that 
So basically each level is like a room from your childhood, your memories or, or a portion of your life. And all your boxes are put in a room and you're unpacking these boxes to to organize your stuff. And throughout your life, certain stuff makes the jump with you from from place to place. Other times it doesn't. And little details in the environment kind of tell you what stage of life you're in. Uh, do you have roommates? Are you married now? Are you expecting a kid? Are, is, is it a breakup? And just kind of the placement of things where things go tell that story. It's a really unique way to tell a story and it's a really touching way to tell uh, a story about the ups and downs of life. Having just moved a couple years ago, I kind of thought back on the things that I brought with and the things I got rid of as I moved and yeah, it's really touching. It it can be completed in a couple of hours. It tells a really fantastic story. Go play Unpacking. It's it's fantastic. I think you can probably find it for like 15 or 20 dollars and it's absolutely worth your time. Next, Nintendo Switch Sports 2022 on the Switch, May 9th. Again, you don't really beat Nintendo Switch Sports, but we played all the sports and we continue to play the sports to this day with my friends because they're really fun. Nintendo attempts to recapture the magic of Wii Sports over a decade later to varying degrees of success. While some sports hit better than others, NSS is still a blast to play in a room full of friends and family. And that's what it is. It's a blast to play. I know they added golf. I think they're talking about adding baseball later. Volleyball is super fun. The sword fighting game is super fun. It's it's Wii Sports. It's Switch Sports. I don't feel like I have to sell it any more than that. Next, Super Mario World 1990 on the SNES. Of course, I played it on the uh, Switch Online Super Nintendo. Finished that one May 15th. Around my birthday, I was feeling a little nostalgia. So I went back and played Super Mario World as I usually do once a year. 32 years later and Mario's outing on the Super Nintendo still towers above most other games of that era. When it comes to gameplay, tight controls, and innovative level design, Mario has remained unchallenged for decades, with Super Mario World being a better game today than many modern games on the market. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much says it all. I did a whole episode, a whole solo episode, on how great Super Mario World is. To this day, I think it's still one of the the standout titles of the 90s. It's one of the best games on the Super Nintendo. It's one of the best games to ever come out, period, period. It plays so, so, so well. And going all the way back even to Super Mario World, you can see the threads of brilliance from Nintendo, from Miyamoto, from uh, the people that make Mario. And the DNA of Mario is, is so present in Super Mario World. I'll sit here and gush about it for hours. Super Mario World is... <laughs> like I said, if I if I was completely biased in my pick, Super Mario World probably would have been my game of the year this year. That's how good it is. Moving on, Fire Emblem Three Houses, 2019 on the Switch. I uh, finished that one on May 26th. Motivation for this one is I actually got to be on Pixel Project Radio for an episode about Fire Emblem Three Houses. So, hey, Rick, thank you very much for letting me come on for that. It was a absolute blast. Unquestionably, the best modern Fire Emblem to date, Three Houses, features a diverse cast of characters, a branching narrative that is compelling, and an incredible soundtrack. With three different paths and an unbound class system, this game was built with replayability in mind, ensuring that each playthrough will be unique. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. It is the most approachable Fire Emblem. It is a perfect spot for jumping in if you're new to the franchise. Uh, So many of the little ticks and things that series veterans would take for granted that might turn some people off like the weapon triangle and just some just some stuff like that uh, are are not present and so i think it makes it really accessible and gives you the tools and gives you a lot of agency to to play that game however you want 
cannot recommend Fire Emblem Three Houses enough. Big, big, big time. Uh, I'm a huge Fire Emblem fan, you know, from my days of Advance Wars. Definitely check it out. It's a long haul, but it's worth experiencing all the stories, I think. Nobody Saves the World, 2022 on the Switch. Finished that one on June 12th. And this was also one of the 12 games of Christmas, so I won't spend too much time on it. For any fan of Diablo Baldur's Gate-style top-down RPGs, this game is a must. The game's core mechanic of switching between different forms as your classes never gets old, and gameplay is surprisingly deep and customizable. A perfect Switch game that is less than 20 hours. Yeah, like I said, I covered Nobody Saves the World in 12 Games of Christmas by myself. It's a fantastic game. It itches that that Diablo need for Diablo 4 that's coming. And it's the art style, the music, the gameplay, super unique. Uh, it's worth a pickup if you can pick it up. Like I said, I finished it in less than 20 hours. And the exploration, the combat, the customization it make this game surprisingly deep. Don't got to say anything more about it than that. Next, we have Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, which came out in 1992, and I played this on, uh, I emulated this for, for Game Boy on my laptop. Uh, finished this one on June 13th for the King of Games 1992, since I was on an episode for Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, and I wrote the following. Certainly not as polished as other Mario titles and limited by the Game Boy's hardware, Mario Land 2 improved on the original in every way, carving out its own identity as a unique Mario game that introduces us to series mainstay Wario. Yeah, coming from Super Mario Land 1 to Super Mario Land 2 is night and day, is night and day. Uh, Six Golden Coins is, is fantastic, and it's a really interesting entry in the Mario franchise. We do get Wario from it, but it's, it's all about Mario trying to reclaim his home island and his home castle from Wario. So, raises a lot of questions in the the Mario lore about what he has. So very, very interesting. Following that is Kirby's Dreamland, also 1992 on the Game Boy, emulated. Uh, I finished this on June 14th, also for King of Games. So obviously <laughs> these two were for King of Games on episodes that are up and coming. Go subscribe to Retro Hangover Patreon for sure to, to check those out. And I wrote this, and I've kind of been writing these reviews not in first person, but I wrote this one in first person because this one was interesting. I'll be honest, I expected to go in annoyed at this game, knowing what it would be a few years later. But in my playthrough, I genuinely enjoyed myself. Dreamland sets the foundation for the Kirby franchise for years to come. And this is accurate, and one of the things I talk about on King of Games, I hope the episode's out by now. If not, I'm sorry, Chris, for, for ruining everything. But one of the things I talk about on King of Games is how I actually really hated Kirby's Dreamland because for the longest time, I had played Kirby Superstar first. That was my first experience with Kirby, and that game is fantastic. It's a masterpiece. I love it so much. And so a lot of those things were there, the the copy abilities and all the great stories and the, the bright, vibrant cover, colors and the levels. And when I finally got Kirby's Dreamland for Game Boy and played it, none of those things were present. And it was super short, and you couldn't copy abilities. And I really despised the game for that because I wanted the handheld version of what Kirby Superstar was, my young brain not understanding that you know, Kirby's Dreamland came out before that. But going back and playing it after so many years later, I realized that it's it's such a great, charming little title, and it's really a fantastic outing from from Hell Laboratories, who really needed this game to succeed because they were they were in big trouble. And you can see the work of uh, Masahiro Sakurai and Satoru Wada, like it totally makes sense that this game came out the way it did. So yeah, Kirby's Dreamland is one of the surprises of this year and, and really changed my opinions on that game, for sure. 
Ah, yes, we come to it at last. Next up, Super Mario Kart on the SNES, but I played it on Switch from 1992. Uh, also finished that one up on June 14th for the King of Games. So it was very obvious what I was doing in June, obviously preparing for King of Games. So Super Mario Kart here. And I wrote this, at the times it feels like driving on ice, but there's no denying that Super Mario Kart was the start of something great. While it never reaches the heights of his successors, Super Mario Kart proved that games like this could work and were a winner for Nintendo. Yeah, when it comes to the legacy and the importance of Super Mario Kart in gaming history, there's no denying it on that end. But this game is hard to go back and play. It is very slippery. It does not control well. The Mode 7 stuff for the SNES hasn't aged the best so it doesn't look the best and the ai is just relentless and unforgiving super mario kart is not as fun to go back and play as you would remember it, it's it's cool for a nostalgic little trip back to see where the series has come from but they made great strides since super mario kart and, and this one is hard to to pick up and play again that that's for sure following that we have teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge also part of the 12 games of Christmas. And I once again got to go back on Pixel Project Radio and, and do an episode uh, with Rick and and Mikey from, from Big Drink Energy. That was a great episode. Go and check that one out for sure. Shredder's Revenge is an incredible homage to the bygone era of beat-em-ups, capturing what made games like Turtles in Time feel so good. Incredible art direction and returning voice actors make the nostalgia hit hard on this one. I want to add something to this because I didn't write it. The music in this game is Fucking incredible. It's so good. That alone made this game incredible. And like I had a blast with this game. It's so fun. Everyone knows that Turtles in Time is one of my favorite games. Blah, blah, blah. Nostalgia. You've heard me say that on a bunch of episodes. Uh, this captures that feeling like perfectly. Perfectly. It's, it's a perfect Switch game. It's everything I hoped it would be when I saw it first announced. Man, just go, go play Shredder's Revenge. Pick it up. It's fantastic. Next up, we are going to Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, which came out in 2022 on the Switch. And I wrote my review for this July 7th, but there are still updates coming out for this game, uh, which just continue to make it better. While it never quite reaches the lofty heights of Iceborne, Sunbreak is a worthy Monster Hunter expansion in its own right, offering new monsters, new customizations, and a ton of new gear. What more could a hunter ask for? And yeah, what more could a hunter ask for? What you hope for from a Monster Hunter expansion is awesome new monsters, new locations to explore, and new gear to make. And Sunbreak delivers on all of those points. I don't think it was quite as epic as the Icebreak. Icebreak. I don't think it was quite as epic as the Iceborne expansion for World, but Sunbreak is is fantastic. And Monster Hunter is moving ahead with full steam. Uh, Monster Hunter was one of my favorite games this year. It is the game I played most this year, an expansion to a game that came out last year. It was a game I played most this year. Uh, I will continue to evangelize Monster Hunter. I will continue to try and convert the masses to Monster Hunter. Next on the list, Civilization VI, 2016 on the PC. I wrote this review on July 13th because you don't ever technically beat Civ, but goddamn is this game addicting. And that's pretty much what I wrote in my review. You don't ever technically beat Civ, but I've completed my annual tradition of playing one long-ass game through to completion. The core gameplay is addicting, prompting the famous last words, one more turn until you realize it's 3 a.m. and you haven't slept. Yeah, uh, Civ 6, once you understand that game, is addicting and super fun and runs on a turn timer. And you just want to do one more turn to see what you can do next. And it's addicting. 
Uh, if you venture into the land of Civ, be very careful. You may not emerge for days, weeks, months. Civ 6, we have Mega Man 5 from 1992, NES emulated, completed on July 18th. This one was also for the King of Games, and I played that on the episode with Super Mario Kart. That one is out now. Go ahead and check it out. Mega Man's strength has always been its level design, music, and ability to teach a player through playing the game, and 5 stays true to these core values. While at times frustrating, Mega Man controls great, and overcoming the difficulty is rewarding. So yeah, I talked about it on that episode. I did an episode on Mega Man X and Mega Man X was part of the 12 games of Christmas. So I talked about Mega Man a lot last year and I think my thoughts on it still hold pretty true to what I said in the episode. Mega Man is a great, a fantastically designed game and Mega Man 5 surprised me. It was a lot of fun to play and it got me interested in going back and checking out some of the older Mega Man titles, which is not something I thought would happen after comparing Mega Man 5 to Mega Man X. I mean, you guys have heard the episode. I assume if you've listened, unless this is your first time, uh, I hold X in very high regard. So going back to Mega Man 5, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it having experienced newer Mega Man titles versus going back to an older one. But I'm happy to say Mega Man 5 was was is a great game. It, it was a lot of fun. So I'm definitely interested in and seeing the rest of the franchise, I get what people would be saying about Mega Man 5 as a cash grab by Capcom. They're just pumping out the games. They put out two Mega Man games in this, in this, within the span of a year. So that that's pretty ridiculous. Next up, we have Stray 2022 on the PS5, and I finished this one on July 22nd. Despite being centered around a cat, Stray is a very human story while focusing on what it wants to show you. Unencumbered by modern progression systems, this game is immersive and incredible. A must-play this year. And my opinions about it haven't really changed at all. Stray's a fantastic game. The narrative at the end is a little bit weak, and if you're coming into this game expecting anything more than what it is, you'll probably be disappointed. It's a game about a cat, and it's a very... There's open areas of exploration in between linear segments where you're trying to get to where you're going. But I think all in all, it tells a pretty heartwarming story. And goddamn, the cat is one of the most charming characters in video games this year. In an era where games are getting so much better with their characters and their story, the cat from Stray has a lot of character. And I think it's a testament to what they did over there. at Blue, I believe it was Blue 12 Studios. And, you know, I, w- I would play another game like this. Uh, if there was a Stray sequel, I probably wouldn't bat an eye at it. Although I'm... Not sure why there would need to be a stray sequel, but 
I digress. Undertale is up next. 2015, it played it on the Switch, and I finished that on July 24th. This was for an episode of Tales from the Backlog with my good friend Dave. So go check out that episode. It was a lot of fun. Undertale achieves its goals of subverting your expectations of a traditional video game RPG, all while telling an incredible story of kindness, forgiveness, accept, and acceptance of one's self. That's all very true. Uh, this is my second playthrough of Undertale in two years, alongside playing both of the Deltarune chapters last year, I believe. No, the year before. Sorry, I still, I'm still in 2022 mode. But yeah, playing all of the Deltarune chapters, which is Toby Fox's next uh, endeavor after Undertale. As said in the Tales from the Backlog episode, I don't think I was as high on Undertale as a lot of people. Then don't get me wrong. I loved it. It's a fantastic game. I just had played it after so many years of hype and hate after being exposed to so much of it in the gaming zeitgeist that it, there's no possible way it could have lived up to whatever very high ceiling, very low bar, whatever, whatever expectations were set by all of the buzz around it. Uh, it just there it, I, that definitely affected my playthrough a bit. I, I, I know it definitely did. But Undertale is fantastic, and I think it's definitely worth it's a four to six hour experience. Um, you know, 12 hours if you do a pacifist and a genocide route, which most of the times you'll if you want to get the full experience, you'll probably end up doing three routes. You'll do a, a just a regular route, a pacifist and a genocide route. So, yeah, Undertale, high recommend. It's worth experiencing and it's on sale often enough that it won't cost you a lot of money. Advanced Wars Dual Strike, 2005 on the DS, but again, I emulated it on my laptop. Please don't sue me, Nintendo. I finished this one on August 12th, and despite all of my high praise and love for the Advanced Wars series, I never actually finished Dual Strike when I played it the first time, so it was it was really great and really rewarding to go back and, and play through and finish that game uh, in a series that I love a lot, so that was that was really awesome. The final good entry in the series, Dual Strike goes to great lengths to try and innovate its core gameplay with varying degrees of success. Breaking the game with tag powers, however, will never get old. And that is true. After Advance Wars 1 and 2, I mean, 2 expands on Advance Wars 1 a little bit, but it's, it's basically the same game with a couple of new bells and whistles. They did really try to expand on Dual Strike so that it felt different, but not so much that it changed the core gameplay. And this was with the inclusion of uh, several different units. You have your black bomb, you have your aircraft carrier, your stealth bomber, your pipe runners, your mega tanks, so uh, your black boats. So there's a lot of different unit variety. The, Dual Strike has the most unit variety of all of the Game Boy Advance, uh, DS Advance Wars titles. And then they introduced this thing called tag powers where you could have two commanding officers in each battle and their power meters could fill up and then you could pull off what was called a tag power, which is where you could get two turns in a row and each uh, CO would swap out and take a turn commanding and using their, their superpower. So really broken. A lot of competitive Advance Wars dual strike games just come down to whoever can get their tag power first. And, you know, when that's like the main mechanic, it's not it's not as fun. So a lot of people play with tag powers often and just play with one CO. But yeah. This was the last good Advance Wars game. Days of Ruin was kind of, I hated Days of Ruin. I know there are people out there that really like it and like the tonal shift and like the difference. Uh, Days of Ruin strips back a lot of things, changes a lot of things and changes the tone of the series. It's a really dark game. Talking about like the end of the world and a pandemic and meteors destroying the planet. So a lot of like relevant stuff to today, but I just, I didn't enjoy it as much. I don't think I have much to say about this one and I actually forgot to write down the date I just wrote the month Kingdom Hearts Final Mix which the original Kingdom Hearts was out in 2002 on the PlayStation 2 but I played this on the 
uh, Story So Far collection on the PS4, the HD collection. Obviously for my Guiding Keys series, so I don't need to say much on this, but I did, I did write a little bit of a review for it. A wonderful foundation for great things to come. The story of Kingdom Hearts still resonates strongly today, although the combat and controls leave much to be desired. And I think that's a fair criticism. I think, you know, Kingdom Hearts 1 has a lot of heart, no pun intended, and it's a fantastic story. It's what caused my love of of the series. But going back and playing that after what the series turned into in in King, I almost said Advance Wars 2, uh, what the series turned into in Kingdom Hearts 2 and following games where the, it controlled so much better and the action was a lot more snappy and and stuff like that. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 is slow and clunky and sluggish by comparison, and you can definitely feel that going back and playing it, but it, it's still a fantastic game. and It's a really interesting game to play to see kind of how this possible fusion of Disney and Final Fantasy uh, can work. And if you're going to play it, the HD collection is by far the, the premier way to play it. It built rebuilt from the ground up because the original code for this game is gone. It got it got wiped out. So, yeah, that's the only way that you're able to play this game. Obviously, Kingdom Hearts gets a big recommend from me, obviously. Mega Man X is up next, 1994 on the SNES, but I actually played it on the Mega Man X Legacy collection that I have on the Switch. Uh, that was finished August 27th. Mega Man X defines what it means to be a sequel, improving upon the series drastically by simply tweaking small aspects of its gameplay for the 32-bit era. This is a masterclass in excellent game design. And again, I had an episode on Mega Man X on, on Unlockables. I did it. It was part of 12 Games of Christmas. I don't need to sing its praises anymore. Mega Man X is one of my favorite games of all time. It is one of the best games on the Super Nintendo. It is one of the best games still to this day, and I will fight anyone that says otherwise. And then following that, I I believe I played these while I was in Colorado visiting my cousin. Uh, The next day, August 28th, Mega Man X 2, 1995 on the Super Nintendo. And this was my first experience with the Mega Man X sequels, so it was very interesting. Mega Man X2 is a solid sequel to the original, but relies too much on cheap one-hit kill gimmicks to try and supplement its difficulty. Yeah, and this is something I I felt a lot playing X2 versus X1. You know, there are instant kill mechanics in X1. Obviously, the spike pits are just the regular pits that you fall into. There were so many of these in the latter half of the game or just sprinkled throughout the game that it, it was noticeable to me. And I don't consider myself a great video game player. I'm average at best, but the the instant kill stuff was just getting a little old for me. But it was so cool to see a sequel to one of my favorite games of all time. Didn't quite live up to the original, in my opinion. Kirby Superstar, 1996 on the Super Nintendo. Of course, played on the Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo library that they have going on. Uh, finished this one on September 13th, and I played all of the games in Superstar, so I played uh, Spring Breeze, I played Dyna Blade, Great Cave Offensive, Meta Knight's Revenge, Milky Way Wishes, and I think that's all of them, and then there's some minigames sprinkled in there. Superstar is a joyous and familiar romp through Kirby Adventures new and old, and reaches heights that the series rarely approaches going forward. Yeah, like I said, Kirby Superstar is my favorite Kirby game of all time. It's up there with Nightmare in Dreamland, they're one and two. I, I need to let Forgotten Land ferment a little bit more before but i know that like forgotten land is like easily my top three i just don't know if it's better for me than nightmare and dreamland gotta gotta kind of think on that for sure so but kirby superstar oh so good so good and a a compilation of kirby games that you know on the super nintendo it's kind of crazy to think about 
my cousin and I played this one a lot. We we love Kirby Superstar. Next up, a big one. Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, 1992 on the Super Nintendo. Finish it on September 25th. And you guessed it. I also played this one for the King of Games 1992, but it was kind of fortuitous because in 2021 going into 2022, Link to the Past was one of the four games that I identified on my backlog that I wanted to get off of it. And I wanted to play it because while I had passing knowledge of Link to the Past and while I had seen video essays and stuff on it while watching stuff about Zelda, I never actually played Link to the Past and I played it. A legendary game by reputation, Link to the Past establishes many of the well-worn Zelda tropes and mainstays and would define the next few decades of Zelda for better or worse. And I think that's an interesting review I had at the time. Link to the Past, like I said, it's a great game. It deserves its legacy. It deserves everything that is said about it. I, I won't take any of that away from it. I find myself to be a bit of a contrarian when it comes to Zelda. I guess I would say I was not as impressed with Link to the Past as I thought I would be. It's a fantastic adventure. It's a lot of fun. But I think when I hit that second phase of the game and going into the dark world and getting through some of those dungeons, I I was just I was over it. I was done. I was kind of didn't want to play it anymore. And there is so much running back and forth all over the goddamn place in this game that it's like it's a little bit frustrating that if you don't know exactly what to do, you're going to miss stuff. You're going to be backtracking a lot. And I I get it for the time in 1992. That's huge. That's a, that's a great accomplishment to have such a game that feels so huge, so expansive, such an, such an adventure that you get so much replayability out of it. And I think, like I said, I'm a Zelda contrarian. I I link to the past is good. Ocarina of time is good. Ocarina of time. Isn't my, my favorite 64 Zelda. It's Majora's mask. You know, I think Breath of the Wild is really great. So, yeah, I don't think my opinions on Zelda can necessarily be trusted, but uh, I was not as impressed with it as I thought I would be, but I'm still really, really glad I got to experience it. Streets of Rage 2, 1992 on, I believe it's the Sega Genesis. I'm not looking it up. I didn't write it down. I just wrote Sega. Please don't yell at me, anybody. Uh, Finished this one on September 29th, and this one was, of course, for King of Games as well. Having limited experience with beat-em-ups, Streets of Rage 2 feels damn good to play. You can feel the hits, which is a testament to how well this game is designed, although the preference for Turtles in Time remains. Yeah, like I said, I have a personal bias uh, towards Turtles in Time. It's my favorite game. It's my favorite beat-em-up, I should say, and it's one of my favorite games on the Super Nintendo. But yeah, again, played this one for, for King of Games. Streets of Rage 2 is, is really good. I was surprised at how well it performs and how much fun I had playing it. I don't think I can say much more than that because I'm not an expert on, on beat-em-ups. I just noticed because I was looking ahead on my list here that I did miss one game that I also played for King of Games and that was Street Fighter 2 which also came out on 1992 um, The World Warrior and I don't have a review for, for Street Fighter 2 and I don't really think you beat Street Fighter 2. I think that's why I kind of left it off my list here because I'd already kind of beaten it and you just kind of play your friends really strange but yeah so so street fighter 2 you know it's not the championship edition it's not the turbo edition those are the ones that you normally would play you'd find in the arcades because the original street fighter 2 is a little clunky it's a little slow they really tighten that up and obviously it was successful enough that they released it like four or five more times during the super nintendo's life cycle and you know the championship edition the turbo edition they that was unheard of back then it was so successful that they replaced Super Mario World as the pack-in title 
in the United Kingdom with Street Fighter 2. So um, Street Fighter 2, big, big legacy for sure. And uh, look for that one coming up on King of Games as well. Lots of good stuff on King of Games for sure. So yeah, going on my list, after Streets of Rage 2 on September 29th, I didn't beat a game for almost a month. And the next one was Final Fantasy 9, which came out in 2000 on the PlayStation 1. And that was finished on October 23rd. I don't really need to tell you guys about this one. Again, if you listen to the show, this is my literally my favorite game of all time. A celebration of all that had come before, Final Fantasy IX embodies the heart and soul of the entire series, telling a touching and emotional story that explores the meaning of life. Final Fantasy IX is fantastic. It is the best of the PS1 era Final Fantasies. I will not be taking phone calls. We're moving on. Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Again, another month goes by. 2022 on... The Switch beaten on November 23rd. In the ways I was disappointed with Xenoblade Chronicles 2, this game surprised me at every turn. It tells an incredibly human story of love and relationships, the very real fear of loss and death, and the things that give life meaning. Only a handful of games have ever moved me to tears, and I count those games among my favorite of all time. This is now one of them. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, part of the 12 games of Christmas. I don't need to say anything else about Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It was my game of the year. I have an episode on it. I did an episode with Colby and Tyler from Switch It Up, a three-hour episode on Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So if you want to go listen to that one, go check it out because that absolutely does that game justice. Next up, we have God of War Ragnarok 2022 on the PS5, and I finished this on December 2nd. Sony's latest AAA exclusive is a known quantity, feeling like an extension of its 2018 predecessor. Ragnarok manages to conclude the story of Atreus and Kratos in a satisfying and emotional manner while leaving the door open for the franchise going forward and setting the standard for cinematic storytelling in video games. And I I feel like that's a fair review of God of War Ragnarok. It really does feel like an extension of the 2018 God of War. It does. It's there's some things that the 2018 version does better that Ragnarok doesn't do as well. There's some like there's a layer of marvel mcu quippiness that's included in god of war ragnarok and it's kind of a gives you some tonal dissonance from the 2018 one but when ragnarok hits those god of war moments this game is fantastic and it's it's a great way to end this story arc of kratos and atreus i won't say anything more than that i don't want to spoil it that's definitely worth a pickup if you're waiting for it wait for it to go on sale but i think this is one that should be picked up and should be played next up Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising 2003 on the GBA, but I obviously emulated it on my laptop and I was playing this one uh, during the slow time at work, well, during winter, during the Christmas slow time. So yeah, funny, sorry about that. I hope nobody that I know ever hears this, otherwise I'll get in trouble. The second outing of the GBA Advance Wars games is still the gold standard for the series and visiting it just made me want Reboot Camp more. Nintendo, please release Reboot Camp. I understand why you delete it, but I need it really bad. Advance Wars 2 is the gold standard for the series and is one of my favorite games of all time. I think when I did my top 25 games thing earlier this year, I think I had it as number four. It is a great, great game. And just doing a little bit of research about Advance Wars in the series, uh, this these two games, Advance Wars 1 and 2, significantly underrated by a vast majority of people who play video games. Just saying, the original Advance Wars got a ton of 10 of 10s across the board. It's got a 92 on Metacritic, and it is the single sole reason that Nintendo brought Fire Emblem over to 
the United States and it changed Nintendo's view on Western audiences. So a lot of games that we might have not gotten, we now get because of Advance Wars. So say thank you and pay your respects and visit the gift shop on the way out. Next up, Pokemon Scarlet 2022 on the Switch and that was finished on December 18th. Man, oh man, this was a game. What could be a blueprint for the future of Pokemon falls short thanks to glaring slowdowns and renders that make the game feel unfinished. A shocking release for a first-party Nintendo game. And I think that's that's what it is, right? Scarlet and Violet, I had, I had a lot of fun despite all the graphical BS that was happening. Uh, my wife and I had a lot of fun playing it together. It was, it was great. As a game overall, I enjoyed it more than Sword and Shield. And I think it was really cool to have this open this big open area to explore uh, in a pokemon game i think that's what as fans of the series we've been wanting for a long time but for scarlet to release in the state it did when there are games like xenoblade 3 and when there are games like breath of the wild huge games that came out that don't run nearly as bad was really really surprising and really shocking that nintendo would want one of their flagship like one of their most important titles to come out in this state but we know that pokemon games never ever delay regardless of anything and i know this game has already sold over 10 million units so i think game freaks gotta ask themselves a lot of questions going forward and i don't think we can any true fans of this series should not be blinded by nostalgia and should demand a, a higher quality product from from game freak and i think we're okay asking for that for how long we've supported you know, Pokemon's never been a cutting edge game and we're not asking it to be a cutting edge game, but we're asking for it to get the respect it deserves for how big of a franchise it is. And Game Freak just didn't do it justice. And finally, the last game I played in 2022, and this one surprised me. This game wasn't even on my radar until I bought it on sale. So very surprising. And that was Bastion by Supergiant, which came out in 2011. And I played it on the Nintendo Switch and I finished this one December 26th, the day after Christmas, and my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Taylor. Supergiant's first outing is brief, but filled with creativity and love at every turn. It's easy to see how this game set the future for Hades, making Supergiant one of the premier developers today. Yeah, Bastion's super cool. The way the, as you're adventuring the land, this land that's falling apart, the the floor tiles will like come up from the bottom and you kind of like build your path going forward. Super cool, and... There was so much of Hades' identity in this game that I was shocked. And just going back and looking at the other Supergiant games, I think the only one I haven't played now is... I've played Transistor. I don't know what the middle one was between Bastion and Transistor. My mind is blanking right now. I think I got the itch to play Bastion when I saw the Hades 2 trailer during the Game Awards, which looks super cool. And I'm totally down for a Hades sequel. I'm, I'm definitely down for more of that world because... Hades was my game of the year in 2021? 2020? Yeah, it was 2020. I'm sorry, I'm getting my years all mixed up because I still think it's 2022. Yeah, Hades was my game of the year in, in 2020. And Monster Hunter Rise was my game of the year in 2021. Yes, yes, that was correct. So yeah, I'm all aboard the Supergiant train. It, it's interesting that Hades is the first game that they decided to make a, make a sequel of. But when you have a game that that's good and makes you that much money and gets such high critical acclaim a sequel's a no-brainer and i'm very excited for hades 2 
But if you're interested in more Supergiant, going back to Bastion is is a really, really cool experience. And that game holds up really well, despite it being uh, 12 years old now. It's it's fantastic. And it's a perfect, perfect Switch, uh, perfect handheld game. Possibly even a Steam Deck game? Not sure, because I hadn't had my Steam Deck yet. But I have a Steam Deck now. And let me tell you, when I do this again for next year, uh, if I'm still around, just kidding, I will be, uh, the, the Steam Deck is going to feature very heavily on this list next year. But yeah, that was it. Bastion was the last game. We got a total of 40 games. 41 if you count Street Fighter, but I didn't exactly count Street Fighter because it's just like a fighting game. And I didn't really feel like it was something that I finished. I played it more of like an obligation to King of Games. So yeah, definitely those are the games, all 40 of them. And I think I'm going to up my goal a little bit this year. I played 40 games last year. I think I'm going to try and aim for 45 and play five more, maybe play some some smaller stuff. But I think that might be a challenge because I've committed myself to, to doing a number of episodes for Guiding Keys this year. And the Kingdom Hearts games can be quite lengthy. Two is going to be a big, big one. And then I would ideally like to get 358 done, recoded and Birth by Sleep. So that's possibly four. <laughs> Four Kingdom Hearts games this year, we'll have to see. And then we just have some behemoths coming in the middle of the year, like Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and Final Fantasy 16. We're, as of this recording, we're days away from Fire Emblem Engage. So yeah, my quest to finish 45 games this year might might be a little bit more challenging than I thought, but we'll see. And I think with the Steam Deck in hand, I'll be able to experience a wider variety of games than I would have been uh, just confined to the PS5 and my Switch. So very excited for that. But if you've reached the end of this episode, I'd like to say thank you so much. I very much appreciate you listening, spending your time with us. And we're back for 2023, baby. And I'm very excited to be recording and releasing content again. It's going to be awesome. Uh, if you'd like to find me, find the show, we are on social media. On Twitter, I am at the one true sire. On Instagram, I believe it's just unlockables pod. And then uh, if you want to find all the other good stuff, linked tr.ee forward slash unlockables podcast that has all the stuff for the show that has the podcatchers where you can find all that good stuff i believe i have spotify apple amazon music and google on there the, the four big ones and the show is available wherever you like to listen to podcasts and if it's not available hit me up and i'll put it on your preferred podcatcher of choice and as always going forward remember it's not just the story of video games it's the story of you